just accessed Hardware is Forever, your source for the expert insights, ideas, and innovations you need to do more in the electronics manufacturing industry. From optimization to operations, join us as we put the pieces together for a better approach to manufacturing. Let's go. Welcome back to Hardware is Forever. Jay Patel is the CEO at Amtech, and we are continuing our discussion about Deming and W. Edwards Deming's sort of 14 points of management and the impact that it has, should have, is having, particularly at Amtech on electro circuitry manufacturing. So, Jay, let's start to unpack these 14 points. And I just kind of want to give you the floor because I know that some of these jump out at you. I know that some of these... Uh, you kind of like to rephrase in your head, or there's a way that you like to think about it. So introduce us to these 14 points. So I got introduced, you know, we talked about, we got, I got introduced to Deming and these 14 points and they kind of just, it was like, uh, it hit me with like a ton of bricks. Like, okay, yeah, this is good. This is easy. Like, I'm glad somebody said it like this and we put this all together. This is a secret recipe. We can make it work. So I think just, you know, we're going to talk about it in a little bit more detail, but we'll go one by one. And and we're just going off of the Deming Institute's website, and we're just looking at the 14 points. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different books out there, uh, old, new, uh, from Deming, from other people. And they've kind of taken, you know, rephrased it. And I'm sure the 14 points have evolved, you know, since the first publication of it. But the latest ones are are on uh, Deming.org, and we're just going to review those. And then and as we go on, we will probably paraphrase things because, you know, we're not we're not there yet. We may, be, we're, we may not be speaking that language, but we'll go point by point and kind of talk about it. So point number one, create a constancy of purpose toward improvement of product and service with an aim to become competitive and, and to stay in business and to provide jobs. So, you know, as, as I was going through this, like the number one rule is not out on the shop floor. It starts with leadership, which is, which is different. You know, um, traditionally it's always, you know, the leaders say, I want to make this, I want to do this. I want to make this much money. Uh, but it never says anything about profitability. Uh, it talks about improvement to become competitive, stay in business and provide jobs. I like uh, so, too that it says with an aim to. So, so yeah. he he says a thing, and the reason for doing the thing, which is really important, because sometimes it can become sort of platitudes to just here's the thing, apply it however you want. I like that he's giving us some focus and direction. Correct. Second one is adopt the new philosophy. We are in a new economic age. Western management must awaken to the challenge, must learn their responsibilities and take on leadership for change. So, you know, typically CEOs, they, or management are outside. They demand results rather than lead them to the results. Mm. And that is a difference in philosophy. I feel like Deming is trying to go for is so it's adopt the new philosophy of probably point one. And so we have to take responsibilities and take on the leadership for change. So we have to be involved and we have to lead by example. That is the entire management staff starting from leadership. Good. What's bullet three? Cease dependence on inspection to achieve quality. Eliminate the need for inspection on a mass basis by building quality into the product in the first place. So what that means is 
You design your product and you design your processes and you design your equipment so you will build quality as the normal thing. I want to say almost accidentally, but it always has intention in it. So you're setting yourself up for success rather than trying to force good product, force good quality. Let's make it as easy as possible for everybody by designing it into the product and not relying on inspection and tests to make sure we have conforming product. If we jump to the fourth one, let me read it because um, it brings to mind. Uh, the fourth is end the practice of awarding business on the basis of price tag. Instead, minimize total cost. Move toward a single supplier for any one item on a long-term relationship of loyalty and trust. This, for me, Jay, brings us back to episode one where you talked about value versus cost and where we talked about this very thing where when we are operating towards sort of a uh, strictly a price tag, we are operating towards the wrong things. And that's interesting, right? That that you have found something that I guess gives language to some of those same philosophies. Yeah, that's it's probably where I got it from. You mm -hmm. know, I think that's probably really, like I said, Deming principles have been implemented one way or another. And I think, you know, we can say it in different ways, but it really means the same thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this, the, the more you think about it, the more you can do it. I think it's like we're, we're investing in a partnership and we want it to work with somebody who we can mutually benefit. We can invest in each other, make them better. And if there are cost downs to be made, we they help us. We help them optimize product, do this, do that. So then we can reduce cost and from our our processes and then bring the cost of the overall product down as well. So um which is a lot of what you see from a lot of now standard practice in the entire automotive industry before it was not that way. Right. What is point five? Improve constantly and forever the system of production and service to improve quality and productivity and thus constantly decrease costs. So I think, you know, everybody wants to decrease costs so they can increase margins. And a lot of times we're we're put under this irrational pressure to decrease costs. And how do we do that? I think Deming says the way to do that is through continuous improvement. Uh, improve constantly and forever, not just once, but forever, the system of production and service. And That's how we improve our, and decrease our costs. I love that his through point in all of this is um, don't, Decreasing costs doesn't mean cutting corners or getting rid of or eliminating so much as it means adding to add new ways of thinking about, uh, you, you know, improving constantly thinking about the system and how it can be improved rather than what can you take away so that this costs uh, less. That's a fundamental shift that uh, one is a growth and abundance sort of mindset and the other is a poverty kind of mindset, right? Correct. That's important. Hardware is Forever is a production of Amtec, the proven leader in circuit board manufacturing solutions. From engineering to assembly, testing to supply chain, Amtec is proud to be a partner that our customers can lean on time and time again. If you're looking for a fresh perspective on your next project, we want to help with a free design for manufacturing assessment. Visit us at buildamtech.com DFM to get started.
And I think, you know, this is, this is again, a focus on quality and productivity. It is not a focus on you're making too much money. You know, we work together as a team to bring that down so that everybody wins. Now, if we increase our quality and our productivity. Again, the microscopic, uh, microeconomic advantage is for your organization or for your industry, but a macroeconomic advantage is like we use less resources, we create less waste, we generate less greenhouse gases. All these things add and just come from this as well. And we generate more wealth and create buying power because the pricing price has gone down for everybody. Now with people with more buying power, that means we can in, in, introduce new products and spur more innovation. So like all this stuff is connected. Yeah. And and we can see that, you know, since since you know post-World War II, all these things being implemented, you know, the the rate of innovation is is incredible, something that humanity has never seen ever. And, you know, principles like this, when implemented, do make those changes. So I know I keep on going back to macroeconomic, but I just feel like sometimes you just have to look back and say, okay, how does this benefit us, you know, personally at, at our organization? And how has it benefited us largely? Because I think, you know, to do justice to these people and their their thoughts, we have to think about it that way. So anyways. No, I agree. Point, point number six. And seven. Uh, institute training on the job. So a lot of times, you know, school is training. There is the exam that needs to get taken. You learn about how to do a chemical experiment, and then you're expected to do it in the lab, and everything blows up. Well, no, it's not like that. Like, we have to do uh, training on the job and show people how to do that work on the job. This is very difficult to implement because, you know, as soon as you get people in, you want them to start you know, as soon as you start paying them, you want them to start adding value. But again, this is a long-term play and has to be done. There's also, I think, an, uh, a perspective of learning how to learn. You know, something I say constantly to my teenage daughter is whatever you're going to do for a living hasn't been invented yet. Correct. So, And it, things are moving so quickly. So it's really about do you have the skill sets to understand how to learn so that whatever's happening, you can start to understand oh, well, the power button is probably going to do this. You know, you can start to understand that. And I think that that's an important aspect of not just teaching somebody how to, you know, flip switches, but to think about which switches need to be flipped. And I think, you know, going back to that is, you know, training cannot be done at a brick and mortar institute anymore. If we want to spur innovation, we have to develop our own on-the-job training so that we can stay ahead of the industry and out innovate everybody and capture more market share. So if we don't have the fundamental premise of let's set up training so that we can train our people in our way and we can grow our organization, well, nobody else is going to do that. So really that type of on the job training, uh, robust training processes are, are give you a competitive advantage. What is number seven? Institute leadership. The aim of supervision should not be to help people and machines and gadgets to do a better job. Should be two. You, I think you misspoke. The aim of supervision should be. Oh, two. should be two. I'm sorry. Yeah. The aim of supervision should be to help people and machines and gadgets do a better job. Supervision of management is in need of an of overhaul as well as supervision of production workers. So like supervision shouldn't be there that, that make sure that they're doing this X, Y, Z. Supervisors should be more like, 
out there making, how can we benefit? How can we help everybody do a better job at what they're doing? How can we set up the machines? How can we set up the our team members? How can we set up anything else, all the tools that we have to do a better job? That is the role of supervision, not to ensure that they are doing what they're supposed to be doing and what, you know, when they're supposed to be doing it. Yeah, I love the active verb uh, in that is the aim of supervision should be to help people and machines and gadgets. I think that's really key. That operative word of help, not uh, punish, not mandate, help, you know? Yeah. Uh, number eight, drive out fear so that everyone may work effectively for the company. I like how open-ended that is because what does what do we mean by fear, right? Like some of us are whatever fears we're bringing into the job. Um, I, for me, this gets cultural. Like you need to understand what those fears are that people are dealing with, including yourself as a leader or or the leadership team or whatever, so that you can start to address it. I think that's that gets a bit philosophical and deep for me, and I think that's interesting. Yeah, and I think that's that's also you know it's very it's a real challenge on leadership because we all have our our own limitations, our, our, our fears, all, you know, what, what is going to be good? What is going to be bad? What happens when I fail? What happens, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I think that's a real challenge for leadership. And that's why, you know, some people have it and some people may not have it is that how to manage that fear, how to manage that failure, how to manage that expectations, and then kind of own it and, and create a culture that is not driven out of fear because realistically as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as leadership, you know, we take the burden of uh, success and failure, staying in business, going out of business, uh, saving people's jobs, you know, or creating more jobs uh, or or having to lay people off on our shoulders. So there is a lot of consequence that happens with our right decisions and right wrong decisions. So really driving out that fear is a big step. And it's it's uh, it's one that that many people have know the art of doing that, but it is something that is a huge ask and a huge requirement of all of, of leadership. Which I feel like is a really good um, lead in to number nine. I'll quickly re re read it, which is number nine is break down barriers between departments. People in research, design, sales, and production must work as a team to foresee problems of production and in use that may be encountered with the product or service. This feels for me pretty resonant with manufacturing. What comes to mind for you with that breakdown barriers between departments? I think, you know, we've seen silos and there's there's been jokes in the automotive industry that, you know, different departments, different teams are working on the same problems and nobody even knows mm -hmm. what's going on. And there's this, this, so I think working together, using that creativity, losing that communication and working as a team uh, really, uh, spurs innovation and spurs problem solving um and that that benefits everybody and is pretty interesting to me read that one for us eliminate slogans exhortations and targets for the workforce at workforce asking for zero defects and new levels of productivity such exhortations only create adversarial relationships as the bulk of the causes of low quality and low productivity belong to the system and thus lie beyond the power of the workforce. <laughs> That's huge. That's super interesting. That's really interesting. And again, that taps into things you and I have talked about where you've said, look, if this is happening, 
we can probably reverse engineer it to say there's a problem in leadership somewhere. There's a problem yeah. in processes somewhere. There's a problem in systems somewhere, not a problem in this person's capacity. Correct. And I think that's, you know, as, as a business owner, I can see, you know, traditionally it's like we have a problem, call a consultant and tell them to fix it. And, and then it's like, okay, well, the consultant says that it's your fault. The leadership's fault. It's like, ah, no, get a new consultant, you know, like, right. like nobody wants the finger and the root cause to be pointed at them, but for leadership to, you know, to have the humility, to be able to say that, you know, it's not the workforce's problem. It is the leadership's problem. It's like, yeah, that's it's, a, that's a new way of thinking for a lot of folks. Correct. And, and, and it really, you know, when he says this in, in the times that he's saying it, it was, I, I, I can imagine it not being well received <laughs> like sure. right now. It's still not well received. Right. You know, we know, we know CEOs and we know leadership of different organizations, people work on boards, whether it's, you know, it's, on a, uh, it's, it, it's, it's your local small entrepreneur or it's your large, you know, CEO or board member of a large com company or organization that's publicly traded. Uh, if you tell them it's your fault, they may not like it. <laughs> Still, you know, like remember, like to say this and come up with this in the 30s and 40s is uh, I can understand why people did, wanted to ignore him and wanted him to fail because they just didn't want to accept. It's quite an innovation. Yeah. Uh, Eleven is a two parter. Put those together for us and share your, your thoughts on that. Uh, eliminate work standards, quotas on the factory floor, substitute leadership and then eliminate management by objective. Eliminate management by numbers, numerical goals, substitute leadership. <laughs> substitute leadership. Substitute leadership. <laughs> oh, man. Interesting because it talks about the crutches that we put in place uh, yeah. in lieu of good leadership. You know, like yeah. goals and, and objectives, numbers. And I've said before, that's it's particularly with sales, that, that whole idea of quota for me is super outdated. This is not how anybody rolls anymore, but it's really easy to blame somebody for not hitting quota rather than to look at what is leadership doing so that quota isn't even relevant. We're just talking constantly about efficiency or max productivity. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And again, in the forties, that would have been like, yeah, what? but like, like I am so dumbfounded right now. Like what does that mean? Like, like, how do you not manage by quota? How do you not manage by objectives? Like, how does that even work? Like, I don't Maybe even know. About rethinking the definitions of those things. I mean, it's certainly good to have, I think, some metrics in place that says we want to try to, we know we're optimized if we're doing this many, uh, whatever, an hour, a day, or a month or something. We know that the system is optimized for that, or we're doing the right thing, or we're running. So if it's lower than that, we need to look at, like, it's good to have checks and balances in that, but that's not often how quotas with a capital Q, nobody thinks of quotas as uh, a positive metric of, of you know, efficiency. They think of it as uh, a target that if you don't hit, there are consequences. Correct. So, I mean, I, we're, we're going through this journey and I guess we'll figure out. So yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll probably have aha moments when we get to point 11 and all the points. So, cause it's, God. how would you do it any other way? So anyways, right. okay. Uh, 12A. 12, remove, has, 12 has a two-parter too. Uh, yeah. Give us those. All right. Remove barriers that rob the hourly worker of his right 
to pride of wor workmanship, the responsibility of, of supervisors must be changed from sheer numbers to quality. Okay. Remove barriers that rob people. This is the second point. Remove barriers that rob people in management and engineering of their right to pride of workmanship. This means inter alia abolishment of the annual merit rating and management by objective. Again, this is throwing the status quo in the 30s or 40s, but presently, like we have such a, I'm having some of the same aha moments you are. We have such a sort of hierarchical view sometimes of who does what and who answers to who and who's subordinate to what. This I'm getting I'm getting anxiety right now. Like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, why, is, why are you having anxiety right now? I don't know. How am I supposed to do? How, how am I supposed to do this? Like I have no idea. Like, but I'm not supposed to do. Like, okay, I get it. Like, you know, right to pride of workmanship. I get it. I understand it. Like, I we want. I want to do a good job, and I want to have pride in what I'm doing. How? Like. Yeah, 11 and 12 are going to be really interesting for us to uh, to dive into. And I wonder at the end of all this, what, if anything, you will you will have discovered will be a shift for you or your leadership team or Amtech or whatever, where you yeah. think, oh, we're going to we're going to try something new as a result of learning these things, or at least just think about things in a different way. All right, let's do this. Number 13, institute a vigorous program of education and self-improvement. It's awesome. Yep. And consistent with so many things that you're always... I mean, like, growth mindset has become a concept in our generation, you know, like, you know, it, it, I don't know, I don't know when Deming, not Deming, Dwecker initially, you know, published that, but, you know, we are all implementing and understanding what growth mindset is, you know, one of our core values at Amtech is growth mindset. And this guy said it, you know, in the 30s, vigorous training, vigorous program of education and self-improvement. Yeah. Like growth mindset uh, is required, you know, which is awesome. Um, 14 for me is perfect. It puts a bow on everything. It puts context on this whole thing. Give us that one. Put everybody in the company to work to accomplish the transformation. The transformation is everybody's job. Mm. Yeah. Like it's, it's awesome to it really, say that. That's a literal, uh, in the literal sense of awesome. It's the, yeah. the, that's, that's it. Some of what you've been thinking where you're like, this is blowing my mind. Um, it, it's so easy to look at words, but if you think about whatever your status quo is in most organizations, whose, whose job is it? It's leadership's job or it's the opposite. It's the rank and file. It's, or those become platitudes and slogans, you know, like this is challenging a lot of how we're comfortable. Correct. Cause it's like, for me, it's easy. It's like, guys, you know, we're changing and we're just going to do everything this way now. Okay. And it's fast. It's easy. I'm in control and boom, it's done. It's like, no, like you got to get everybody involved in the trans in the transformation. And it's just like, Okay, remove like it's like it's like making a corner uh, in an F one car, making a turn on F one car versus making a turn on a boat, you know, on on a, on a freighter. It's like you got to make the turn, but it's going to take a little bit longer. And I think like 
Yeah, I, I think adopting these principles is, you know, maybe even now further because life and innovation is perceived to be so quick. You know, it's so fast. Like, do we really have this much time to put these 14 principles in place? Like, are we going to be out innovated? Are we going to be left behind? Like, are we going to lose our customers? Are we not going to win those new programs? But, you know, it's a balance. Like, it's a long game. And I think when we we realize that and start, stop finding, wanting to find instant success in everything that we do and overnight success and realize that we got to put the hard work in. And the hard work is, you know, these principles that we need to implement. Um, we'll see value more and more come up. And we'll see what success really means and how stable success can be. Uh, I like that, how stable and how um, predictable it can be. Yeah. So that you feel like you're starting to, to be on a beam on a wavelength of something where you're not. It's starting to just be the way that we, we do things. You know? Yeah. Jay Patel is the CEO at Amtech, and he and I are both students of, of this whole process now. So we are going to start diving into this um, for the next several episodes. We're gonna we're gonna unpack each of these one by one and, and dive in. So join us for those conversations. I'm really looking forward to it. Jay, thanks for this introduction, and I can't wait for the next discussion. All right, cool. Thanks for joining us, and a special thanks to our subscribers and followers. Consider becoming one today wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.